You're listening to the After The Show podcast, the weekly movie review show from your friends at ascully.com. Welcome, Sid Talk. Thank you. What's the after the show, before the after the show discussion? After the, before the, after the show. The show. <laughs> the show discussion. Immediately before we were, you were somehow hinting at me to not have my laptop here because you think the fan's going to kick on I and think be it's noisy. Very close, very close to the microphone. And that's just fine because until you say I'm not allowed to have it, I'm going to have it. And other than that, we, I was saying that Barney Miller, all, the whole series is now out on DVD. I'm excited because I'm about to the end of my Star Trek Next Generation entirety, entire thing, and I'll need something else to. The only get Barney that with. I know is a pink dinosaur. Uh, he's not pink. He's purple. Purple dinosaur. See, I don't even know him that well. Um, what You've is never the, watched what Barney. Is the Barney? Is it comedy? Is it drama? You've never seen Barney. Never Miller. heard of it. Barney Miller is a situation comedy set in a New York City. Police department, like uh, like something like taxi or something. But in. Um, yes, because well, that same would era. be right up your street then, because you like those kind same of era, and it is sort right. of lots of social commentary of the day, lots of racial things, lots of ethnic commentary, lots of commentary about bureaucracy and politics in police departments it's not a well-funded police department it's got a diverse group of dudes and is it from the 1970s mm-hmm. that's 70 1974 to 1982 right so speaking- my youth i forget what night of the week it was on but i remember it very distinctly i was always very excited for bunny miller and taxi and all my friends thought i was night like court. really lame like night, night court was later but you I did it was like the that. 80s. Yeah, but that was the 80s. I'm talking about my childhood. Starsky and Hutch. Yeah, I like Starsky and Hutch, but I think I was more... Uh, yeah, I did like Charlie's Angels and, you know. So did I. I Starsky cried once. My dad came in and sat his grumpy ass down and... Don't know going to watch that bullshit bunch of women beating shit out of a bunch of... You know, and I took off crying went to my sister's room where I was then working on this little post. I think I was about seven years old, maybe eight. And I had this uh, conservation poster to do for school, which was going to go into a competition. And you had to draw a little poster or a diagram of how to conserve water. And I remember very distinctly that my, my ideas were to take a bath together. <laughs> so I drew a little bath with like children in it, like a bunch of children. Um, one was turn the water off while you brush your teeth and don't flush the toilet so much um, no didn't put that on there there were three and I did like a circle and had these things on it so I'm sitting there drawing and crying and of course I don't know which, who came in to say it's okay, okay come in and watch it he said you can watch it and I remember going in and I was I felt like <laughs> I'm gonna watch what I want and I sat real close to the TV and I could probably just feel like radiation shooting through the back of my head that my dad was just like all pissed that he had to sit there and watch this show that he hated. But that's kind of the person I am. I don't give a shit because I wanted to watch it and that was that. So that's my interesting memory of television was very important to me. So speaking of the 70s, <laughs> the movie we're reviewing this week is from the 70s. It Good is, segue. It is Saturday, August the 11th, 2012. This is after the show number 236 I nearly said number 20 but that was a long time ago 
So, um, the movie we're looking at this week is... You don't need to look at the box. From 1975. <laughs> I do need to look at the box because it has the year written on it. From 1975. You knew the year. I thought it was six, and then I wanted to be correct. Otherwise, you would have corrected me. Mm-mm. So, 1975, Jaws, the Blu-ray release. This has been a long time coming. People have been ecstatic and a boiling point waiting for this release. Finally, it's here. We watched it today. We're going to take a look at it. It comes out for everybody else, apart from us, who got it a little bit early. It comes out on the 14th of August, which is this Tuesday. And it's rated PG. It's on Blu-ray disc. Um, The tagline is, there's no tagline, apart from the obvious. There was a tagline for a job. What's the obvious? We're going to need a bigger boat. Well, that's not a tagline. But the uh, tagline for the second movie was, uh, just when you thought it was safe to go back Mm -hmm. in the water. Um, So... This movie won three Oscars. That's my tagline for it. If I had to put one on the Oscar box. winning. And uh, it's from our friends at Universal. And you don't really need a synopsis of uh, Jaws, but Sid Tart will give you one anyway. First of all, you want to tell people who've never listened before, we're married to each other. I disagree with you all the time. That's kind of the premise of our marriage and this show. We agree on a lot of things. Obviously, we both love I disagree with uh, everything you stand for. Yeah, we'd have a different way of expressing it as well. You have this British uptighty kind of thing, and I have this American sort of say-what-I-think kind of thing. Uh, Synopsis of Jaws is a small New England town on an island is plagued by a giant man-eating shark. (laughs) That will eat you. That, that is it, and yet... Yes, that is it. And everybody knows Jaws, I'm sure. I mean, I can't imagine... You can look at the cover and see what it's about. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I can't imagine nobody knows what Jaws is. So, let's uh, go into the movie. I want to start by saying... This, this came out in 1975, like I said. So, I actually saw it when I was a kid. Which is interesting. After seeing it today and realising just how horrific it... It is this movie. And I was a child, and I remember there's a, a certain scene with a head. You would have been six years old. Do you really think your father took you at that I age? absolutely am. Um, I remember Hollywood Roxy Theatre. We went in, afternoon showing. I remember sitting down, and I remember the opening sequence scared me to death. And then I remember there's a scene with a head and a bo- uh, underneath a boat. Yeah, we're not we're not even gonna worry about spoilers no. in this. <laughs> if you haven't seen the this movie, se- then the head scene terrified me. Right, and what is amazing is today I watched it, and I'm not seeing it for maybe ten years, maybe eight years when the DVD came out. Um, watched it again today. I knew that head was gonna come out of that boat, and I don't often jump at movies. But I actually jumped, and I, it was a, a, a real reaction. Because I don't never know exactly when it's going <laughs> to pop out. And it always seemed... The way you did it, it seems to pop out... When, different time. <laughs> yeah, just when you're not expecting it. So um, I went to watch it when I was a kid. Um, I remember loving it. I loved it so much. For Christmas that year, there was a Jaws board game. Oh, yeah. Now, it wasn't a board game. It was like Bookaroo. Do you remember Bookaroo? Well, Bookaroo was this uh, game where you had this plastic horse and uh, it had a big spring in it. So when the spring goes off, it books its legs in the air, right? So you pressed it down to set it. And then the game was, on his saddle, 
you're stacked look each person puts something on its saddle like you put a tire and then I put an old uh, uh, a gold mine pan and you keep putting them on and eventually the spring gives way and it right. kicks it all off and you shout buckaroo and you're the loser right now Jaws was a spin on the buckaroo game so you got this big white shack <laughs> and it looked like the one on the front cover of Jaws you know and its mouth had a spring you opened its mouth and then you loaded stuff in each person I put a tire in body parts it, there was no body, there feet. was no body parts. There was a tire, a tin can. There wasn't much. License plate. A license plate. You put them in little plastic things, and eventually he, he his jaws would close while you had your hand in his mouth, generally, and then you know it would be horrific, and you would. Be, and you'd yell buckaroo. You'd yell, yeah. <laughs> or did you yell shark attack? What do you yell? You don't yell anything. You just you have gurgle, your hand in the shark's mouth. Gurgle and blood spray. <laughs> So yeah, I love Jaws so much. I asked for that for Christmas, and I can remember Christmas morning this huge box because it was big. Oh, I opened it, and wait, then, I wish I wish you'd save that or something. That was I so opened cool. it, and there was my Jaws, and I, I can't tell you how many times I played with it. In fact, I played with it a lot, and then I ha- used to have it on my shelf just as a display thing. Like I wanted the shark on my shelf. That would be good. So yeah, I bet I bet you can get one. On sure. We should look. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's a good movie memorabilia thing. I bet they're worth about $600 now, though, because nobody kept them. Yeah, they're not worth it, but... Yeah, so, yeah, that's my um, childhood memories of Jaws. Do you have any? No, because I don't remember when I first saw it. I'm pretty sure I was a teenager, and I probably saw it on HBO, I would say, because that's what I watched most of my movies on through my high school years, because we didn't have... didn't rent... we didn't have VC tapes and stuff yet to rent... When I was way back when I was a kid, I was in a very, very, very small town, so VCRs and stuff didn't come my way anyway for till way later. And I think I was alone. I kind of remember it, and I was just mesmerized, like, and I couldn't. I think I probably watched it six or seven times over the while it was on that you know that month right. or whatever. And then I didn't see it again until adults probably rented it or watched it again on some paid TV. And then, like I said, how many years ago has it been since my niece was graduating from college? It happened to be on in the hotel room in the morning when we were getting ready. And I just watched a few minutes of it. And I was thinking to myself, no, 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 no. I don't want to focus on it because I want to watch it for real sometime and sit down and really enjoy it again. So, and my thing is I just, I'm just, I was, I was, I wanted to go out on the boat. I wasn't afraid to go. It didn't scare the shit out of me. Like, don't go in the ocean. I was more like, ooh, what an adventure. How how exciting would it be to have this shark with these big air barrels attached to it? And you don't know when it's going to pop up. And, you know, just sort of like this romanticized vision of it. I actually, uh, when I was watching it this time, and I was thinking about the barrels, <clears throat> it's it's an excellent way of having suspense by having these barrels sure, going around without, without having showing a shark. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it actually really works. I was watching it thinking... Oh, totally. You don't actually see the shark that much. You see it, you see it swim Actually, past. you see it a lot. You see it a lot more than you remember. No, it weren't for me. I, it was a lot less than I remembered. Oh, more I, of the like, barrels, less shit, of the shark. you see loads of the shark. It's up close under the water. It's on the boat a bunch of times. I'd forgotten all that. Um, well, I'd forgotten... I hadn't forgotten any of the end part, so obviously at some point I must have rewatched the end part a lot, like on VHS or whatever. Oh, let's watch the bit where they fight the shark. So that's in, indelibly ingrained in my mind. But like 
the beginning parts with the, them in the house yeah. and all that, that seemed kind of vagueish to me. You I think know? when it got put on TV a bunch of times, so it was cut up. those got cut out. Yep. Yeah, because really it felt do. like an, a director's cut. I know this hasn't got anything extra in it, but to me, when I was watching it, I was like, there's a whole chunk here that I don't really remember. I don't remember him in the house, or I don't remember him... Um, in the town hall. I don't really remember that that much. I mean... Really? Where Quint... I remember him talking, but I don't remember the bit before that where they're all talking. Like, right. Like, like, I, like, I might have seen a chopped up TV version. Well, you were younger. Maybe you found those parts boring. Maybe I was, yeah, drifting off during those. But um, all I have to say, this, this Blu-ray edition has been fully remastered. It looks awesome. I mean... Mm, there are parts. Come on, let's be honest. There are parts that still look pretty muddy. Yeah, and sort but, of dull all over. That's how. If you look at the comparisons, um, that it looked even duller before. Mm-hmm. Didn't you? I felt like that one, the night scene with the woman in the beginning. It looked better before when they slid it across. No, it got I really thought dark. it looked really, yeah, it got really creamy dark. and cloudy. Like it's not supposed to be cloudy and creamy. It's not supposed, it's supposed to be dark. To be da- yeah, it's supposed to be dark. Not that dark because there's no light, and you're not supposed to see a nude really. So it's like. Intention, how it's originally supposed to be seen. I don't mean just dark, like dark. I mean dark as in muddied all together, kind of. See, I, can't I, fix I feel everything. that that's how... I, don't, I feel that that was fully fixed. That's how it's supposed to be. Mm. You're not supposed to see, like, full detail. It's it's It was... She was nude, first off, and they were pushing the boundaries there of a nude woman running about. Oh, I don't think so in the 70s, no. Well, with a PG movie. <laughs> That's one thing I know you want to discuss, but yeah. Um, so no, I I think it looks fantastic. I've seen Jaws in every form of home th- home release. Um, Laserdisc. Laserdisc. <laughs> My friend had it on Laserdisc. Um, I remember that Laserdisc as well. It was a humongous big box. Um, I saw it on VHS, obviously. Um, I saw it on uh, CDI, VCD. I saw it on VCD. This is it's light years ahead of anything you've ever seen. Like, um, the sound on this movie, and I've only ever seen it how it's ever been presented, which is in mono. This is a full 7.1 surround mix. It is a problem I have with older movies, and we said this when we reviewed Platoon on Blu-ray, is they sound tinny and hollow. Like, what they've done to this movie is they've not bastardized it by making it like like a a boom-vastic 2012 soundtrack. (laughs) Like something, something you would bombastic. Yeah, like next week's movie, Battleship. Um, it is, you know, it's a big special effects movie. It's probably going to have this, you know, Transformers, sure. you know, big base spin erupting, all that kind of stuff. This they didn't do that, but they did um, make it not sound like a movie from the seventies. They uh, mixed it properly. It's subtle. The sounds come from the sides occasionally. Water whips in the sound. Uh, I've noticed in the side speakers when John Williams score pipes up everything's involved the subwoofer kicks in the whole thing I don't notice any of that I guess yeah it, it, especially the um, when they're in the boat at the end and the uh, there's like uh, the, the it moves around you hear the shark moving around the speakers Fair and enough. you also hear the um, anytime there's water involved if it's just calm and there's water like rippling you can hear it at the sides of you so they did that, and they did it really nicely. Like, it's not silly and over-the-top gimmick. It's not like, oh my god, this shouldn't sound like this. Yeah. It just felt right to me. It felt like um, I was watching a new movie. Like, like there was um, 
The sound is especially noteworthy because there's scenes at the beginning where dialogue is being said twice. Like, um, somebody's talking on the phone in the background and somebody's talking in the foreground and you can hear both conversations. You never could before. And I never, you know, his wife's saying something on the phone and he's saying something in the house. You can hear both conversations. And also when they're going towards the boat, there's two Mm -hmm. people, there's talking here, talking here. I heard all of it. I feel like that was a, an, an, an artsy fartsy filmmaker of the seventies, almost student filmmakery kind of trick, a new thing to be like. Like, why do we have to be old school? Like it's a stage play like where you have real. to have. Yeah, we want. I want. And you heard him talking in the extras back then. You know that they're going to be talking over here and they're going to be having this, and it's great. It's great. You know, so I feel like it was a bit of a tricky thing at the time. You know, but yeah, there's going to be stuff. If you if you choose yourself which to listen to, you can hear both. Yeah, exactly. But if you don't think about it, you're going to hear the one in the foreground. Like in real you're life, watching them. Like in real life, if somebody stood and then there's somebody. True. If, if you're in the kitchen talking, you and convince I'm talking yourself to somebody in here to focus on this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of that, and it's subtle. And then the shark attack at the end, where it's you know uh, smashing into the boat. That is full on. That sounds like a 2012 movie. I mean, it, it rocks. It, it rocks good. everything. It feels like uh, somebody's thumping the wall at the side of you. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I really enjoyed the soundtrack. I thought at first, you know, 7.1 surround sound on a movie that's so beloved. If somebody went in there and just like decided to turn everything up to 11 and make it this, they didn't do that. They left it nice. Well, he said they separated the sound, all of it, from each other, yeah. and then worked on it. Yeah, all, in fact, yeah, that's And they made thing. and matched and added sound effects back that they had to lose in the process. Yeah, so, so they didn't go. Yeah, they they didn't go crazy. So it sounds appropriate yet modern. Like it. That, that's what I liked about it because we saw Platoon, and I said to you, Platoon looks amazing on Blu-ray, but the sound lets it down. It all sounds flat. Like, it never comes out yeah, of the back. like in a studio. Yeah, and super flat. And when they're firing guns, it just doesn't yeah. sound right. Yeah. <laughs> so And that kind of, like, for, for a Blu-ray, where I'm expecting, like, they've done the job here. So I, I like the look and sound of it. Um, they kept the aspect ratio that you're used to. It's not full screen. It's um, letterboxed, you know? Um, but what I noticed about the actual film itself, not not the presentation, is how sharp the dialogue is. And I'm I'm astounded by it. Actually, we don't make films like this anymore. Sharp, as in, um, as in well scripted. Okay. Or not scripted. Sometimes in yeah. this case, but I feel like you know, idiocracy. We talk about that dumbing everything down. I feel like a lot of movies we watch nowadays, mainstream big movies like Jaws, was then. Because uh, I've got a particular fondness for seventies movies. I feel like they were made. I feel like. Every 70s movie I see, not, not you know, sure. they feel, the acting feels really interesting to me. It's, we don't do it anymore. We're all gloss and very, it yes. feels scripted everything now. Like people are reading stuff. I don't, I don't mean unprofessionally. I mean, it just feels like, oh, we got to say this. We got to say that. We got to say this. It just feels like people having a conversation back in the 70s. Um, you know, like. I'm trying to think of movies from the 70s that we are beloved to. There was also a movement in the 70s in the film world of, you know, breaking almost a, like, post-romantic art, you know, with all the, like, 
everything was had so many rules and uptight. And then after that, you got like Picasso and like modern and surrealism and all that kind of shaking all that loose that everything doesn't have to be a big painting of Jesus Christ or like a, a person in a suit standing and staring at you. Same thing happened in movies, 70s, 50s and 60s. We're still Stage all kind queen. of following the rules. And then the 70s came along with different methods. And Apocalypse they these now. People come along with all these ideas about acting and directing and shook it loose to where it was almost like rebellious against the, like, you know, whereas and improvisation became really super popular in the 70s. And I think that's where you get a lot of this it. movie. And it's very actorly kind of. You know, like touchy feely about the actors and giving them what they want and letting them do their thing. Whereas fifties and sixties, it was this rigid, you know, Hitchcockian thing. You will do what I tell you. You will raise your eyebrow when I tell you. You will turn your head to the left when I tell you. And then the seventies come along, and I think that's why I like the seventies. Yeah, it kind of loosens it up. And then you get the eighties, where you get we think of like pop, pop kind of movies, Sixteen Candles, Breakfast Club, where you're using that. And you're starting to go back to, or kind of turn up that glossiness a bit. Then you get Wall Street, and then you're getting Titanic up in the 90s, and it's like yeah, you're swung around to th- be all like constrained again. I think the problem of today's. Do you think every actor is more, more wrong with involved today. in themselves and how they look and their their part in the movie and how they are presented no, than I'm- they are about the whole. The whole of it, like no. I'm thinking today's movies. We just try. We're trying to be cool all the time. Like we got to be cool. Yeah, they got stuff that comes out of people's mouths has to sound cool. You know, we have to quote it. We have okay, to. Yeah. We like have to, Juno. It's a very yeah. We have to like contrived. Yeah, like yeah. Juno's a specific example. Like, it's got its own language to it. <laughs> like that she got from I don't know. Like listening to younger people or whatever. I don't know. But um, television. Yeah. And then we've got big movies to you know, like huge big movies like Batman and Avengers and stuff. The dialogue's nothing to write home about. That's not why you go to watch those movies. It's it's like special effect movies, isn't it? You know, it's very serviceable. The scripts generally in those type of movies to me, it's not nothing outstanding. I'm never give an example of one now that you do like the dialogue in, or that you have thought, oh, that was good. And I can give you a TV show I love the dialogue in, Mad Men. Right. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of that snappiness, but it feels more like true I believe to the it. person. Like, yeah, yeah. But then, like, I love Breaking Bad, but I think on occasion they go in a bit too far to try and be cool. Yeah, it's very, it's very um, what contrived to yeah. me when I watch Breaking Bad. Um, but yeah, in in the seventies, you know, this movie especially, I was, I enjoyed even more than the shark bits. <laughs> the bits where they were sat around Absolutely. talking, and there's a bit where they the interaction sat... with them and the way they look at each other, all of it's very tactile and yeah, it feels like they did a million takes because they wanted to get it just right to me, like and then what? And on the see... opposite, I feel like they've done it once and he's like perfect. See, I I feel like the one you see is like the best, the best, best one, but he doesn't do a million takes telling them what to do. He just it's just like a okay, that sounded good. Like let's go more with that. Let's go more with this. But I love the dialogue and there's some awesome. Yeah, this is full of quotable lines, but I love the thing about the island. Yeah, it's only an island if you look at it from the water. Which somebody said that to me the other day when I said I don't swim. They said, "But you live on an island. Why? Why? <laughs> why wouldn't you swim? Like you don't live on an island anymore." No, I did live on. Yeah, an island. you know, brought up on an island. And you don't like fish. 
<laughs> and I didn't live anywhere near the sea. I lived in the middle of but the But I mean, country. you don't like fish, and you're from England, which is fish and chips world. It so is. people would be like, oh, really? Now, if you didn't like tea, that would be a whole yeah. other... So, yeah, watching Jaws again for the umpteenth time, I don't know how many times. I What I said to you when it had finished was, it holds up so well, I don't feel, I don't even think it feels dated. Like, obviously it does because you see 70s hairstyles and stuff, but... It could have been made last year to look like that. Yeah, yeah. like one of those movies where they say, let's make a movie that looks like it yeah. was from the 70s. Yeah, that's, that's how I feel. It looks so good, it's... There's a there's a couple of things here and there that you go oh how embarrassing but you're gonna get there's over a, it. like the shark well, sometimes sometimes but then when they find the girl it's a mannequin hand yeah it's got a broken off finger yeah yeah and it's got perfect formed finger I mean it's a mannequin hand yeah. so even the first time I remember looking at it the first time and thinking well what's there with the mannequin what's what's so gross with why is there why are they grossing out in a mannequin I mean, I really remember that. And then when he's in the the lab and he picks up the hand, it's like it's a mannequin hand. Like, is this? Does no one else acknowledge this ever in the history? I'm sure somebody has said, "What's with I the mean, mannequin special hand?" Special like, effects were, um, but it's not even a special effect. It's no. like a mannequin hand that they've broken off. Didn't and have stuff. much money. They put a little bit of moss on it. He had over a million dollars, so it cost that, eight million to make. Actually, he said he started with a million, but it's um, the budget is eight million. Right. Finally, that's what it costs because they went over shooting schedule. And I don't all. think the shark looks that bad itself. It's I just think the shark actually getting looks, it to move. I think it looks very was. good. Sure. Because um, I was thinking to myself, I bet when we see this on Blu-ray, the shark will look horrendous all the time. It's going to look like this. We all know now it's this um, animatronic, not animatronic even, this clockwork style mm-hmm. puppety shark. We all know that now. So I was thinking on Blu-ray, we're going to look at it and go, wow, it was really terrible. But I was watching it when it when it's going past the boat doing its like little yeah. close, and I was like, "Well, it, it fools me. It looks like a shark there." And only when I saw its face yeah. really close up under the water, it's never ever under the water. Issue. It looks really good. It's like when it busts through the window and when it's up and eating him and stuff. Then you go, "Yeah." When it's but then really the, close. all this mouth stuff, it all looks really gross and real to me. I don't know. I've never seen a shark up close, but i'm sure that if you watch it frame by frame it's nowhere go, near uh, as bad as i imagined i was thinking this is look dated because of the shark but there were a couple good. times where they show it under the water and it's when it's supposed to have the barrels on it and yeah. there's no, no ropes barrel. on it whatsoever yeah. but then, then there was a couple of times where they where you could distinctly see but the, the guy drop. said we used all the footage we had of it just to put this together so you kind of gotta like don't overanalyze it visually sometimes right so um yeah i i I, can't, I highly recommend the actual movie to anybody who's well, not... Well, just so you know, when I score, I score movies. I don't love scoring them, but I have to kind of give myself and other people an idea of where I put them in terms of how much I like it, and across the board, it gets a 10. Right. Maybe for nostalgia, because it's not perfect. Maybe because I just dig it, because it kind of builds your tension up just right, and I like that feeling of, like, dun-dun-dun. Sus- you know, the like, suspense is awesome. The, the part on the beach... Where it's just an everyday on the beach, but there's a bit of tension because Chief Brody mm-hmm. knows that there could be a shark attack, but everybody else is just playing around, and you know that there's probably going to the be a shark attack. And the are filled with people. Yeah, there's a lot of extras. It's and huge. And I was watching it, and I was like, wow, yeah. And I know what's coming. I don't know exactly when, because I'm kind of a bit hazy on it, but I'm tense. I feel tense. Yep. The part, Partly the music drumming up. 
And then when it's the kids with the car budget, and then you're like, oh, a bit of relief. Oh, no, it's not relief. Somebody's, shark! Yeah. It's, it's a shark it is one of, You know, <laughs> like, there's been shark movies all the way through, I'm, I'm assuming, but none of them stand out to me, hardly, apart from open water. I haven't seen any shark water. movies other than open water and Jaws movies. I right. really don't. Now, I know... I'm, oh, what, there was one other one. Oh, I didn't see Big Blue, so or whatever that oh, was I called. Did. Was I, it Big Blue? or No, Deep Blue Sea. Deep Blue. Deep Blue was all. What was no, Big Deep Blue? Deep Blue Sea, the one with Samuel L. Jackson. That had a shark in it. That was just two words. No. Um, but, uh, yeah, we had, nobody's ever done it as good. Like, now, I think Open Water's pretty good, but it's a different kind of movie. Yeah. But um, nobody's really tackled it. I guess, who would? Yeah, and there was a bunch (laughs) of sequels, which I'm not... Oh, they showed posters of a lot of other shark movies and stuff, but I guess no one ever... I didn't really know them, but I'm I'm not really familiar with the sequels to Jaws. I've watched them all, but this one is the one I'm familiar with. I mean... I watched Jaws 3D probably 50 times, because it was on HBO yet again, and I just watched it over and over and over. Now, I believe I Jaws 2 is actually pretty good. Uh, 3, I, I remember to be not very good, and Dennis then 4, Quaid. I remember to be horrible. Like Michael Michael Caine. Yeah. Well, why is it horrible? I just didn't like it at all. I just thought it took it too far at that point. Right. Um, I wonder if there'll be a Jaws 5. You think it's horrible because it's actually not the good? story. I didn't like the story okay. at all. I didn't like the story of the third one in that theme park. It just seemed a bit. I mean, it's it's that third one is like we can have more people be eaten by putting it in this this area. Well, I know. I'm gonna Feels defend like the it third because back to me. it's like it's giving the shark more more like. Uh, it's actually because you've captured the baby or, or captured a shark to keep in captivity. The mother shark now is hunting down her baby. Now, we I don't know how sharks think. I don't know if they think. I don't have an idea. But that added an element of like, oh, this time it's personal. See, I don't, I don't, <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't think and I like instead, that idea at all. The whole idea of that. That there's this shark that's kind of got this brain and it's going to... Well, what do you think this one was? He found he decided to kind of torment them in the boat. He just wanted to eat them. Right. That's all he wanted. It was three men on a boat, and they were he was hungry. How do you know there were three men on a boat? Well, you can hear men talking. You can see men. Can and see. then he eats one, and then what? Then he wants more? Eat all of the men. Yeah. I mean, you want all of the men, don't you? I guess. So, um, let's move into the cast here. Roy Schneider. Scheider. Schneider. Scheider. Scheider as Bro- Chief Brody. Always... Uh, I think the cast actually all over this movie is amazing. Yes. They're all good. There's nobody I dislike. If I'm supposed to dislike them, I do. Yeah, exactly. I, I was going to say the... But it's not because of the acting. The city council be- guys are all Because sleazy. they play the um, role right. So, yeah, um, bro- playing Brody is fa- fantastic. I-, I like him in anything, really. <laughs> He's good. Um, and Robert Shaw plays Quint. Um, a lot of people... He's their favourite character. Um... He's not my favourite character. My favourite character is Richard Dreyfus, who I think steals the show, actually, as Hooper. The second he walks on the screen, I'm like, I, I love this guy. I just love the... You Im- immediately know he's the fish guy. And I love it when he's doing the autopsy thing. Well, you know, yeah. looking at the... Um, and I like his attitude in it. Do you know what I mean? When he yeah. tells you he's rich. and You know, I never... I never liked him that much because I always felt like he was just too 
he was I don't know like, like a scene stealer. You know what I mean? Like he I has feel to he be, is a scene stealer. Yeah, he has but to be in a good way. A little bit funnier and a little bit charmier and a little bit you know. But as a character, I guess if you piece together that he's a rich dude, he's probably not doing what his parents. You don't know any of this, but I mean, you kind of after you find out he says he's rich, he could be lying. But then you go, oh right, and he's not a hard worker from the thing, but he does know about you know all that stuff. You piece together. I don't know. I'm not a huge Richard Richard Dreyfus fan, and over the, even then I didn't know. But I think I've worked up this thing where he does a perfect job for this guy, but I still never really liked him. I like the wife. She was always my favorite. He does a perfect job in uh, Close Encounters, too. In Close Encounters, I do like him, but again, scene stealer kind of guy. All about him. He's really charming, I think. <clears throat> well, I, mean, I feel like he's too much of me, 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 me. But I think, then... It- I think one of the things Jaws does as well is um, a lot of subtext and backstory is told in the very shortest snippets yep. of dialogue. Fills in and you things go, really well. Wow, yeah, I know all about that guy now and they only said exactly. three things. So that, that's a credit to the script. Except Quint telling us his big long yeah, story. <laughs> Which is fair because it's a horrific story. Yeah. Uh, and then I'd put down, there's a lot of people in this movie but I just put the main four and I class this lady as the main four and it's, um, she plays Brody's wife and it's uh, Lorraine Gary as uh, Ellen Brody. And she's really good, and I wish yeah. we see more of her. Like I, you know, it's very. She reminds you it's the seventies, sort yeah. of like this exceedingly loving mother, and almost still stay-at-home kind of mom. Loves her husband. They're very close. You know, there's like a, the sex comment, and then there's like this touchy-feely thing, and she's real connected to him, and yet now he's he's taking the brunt of the family, moving him out to this island. All this kind of stuff. She just... She always compelled me. Now, later, when I did see Jaws 4, I wasn't... I didn't like her anymore because she over... I'd have to see them again. I think they might have went up her ass a little too much about it. You know? And then let her just not be as calm as she... Although she was older in in that one, but... I always loved her. I actually her. need to see the others now. Yeah. Because they're real. This one was a little bit hazy. I also need to get not. the continuity of the suns, how they play out. Because there's something wrong in one of them. I forget. But something went. Like something they, didn't make like sense. They forgot something and just. They forgot something or they killed somebody who wasn't dead or they killed somebody and then he was alive again or something. I don't know. But yeah, I would definitely need to either read the plots of them or watch them again. That was, that was just the nature. Well, it's still the nature of today, isn't it? Of let's keep making sequels till the money stops coming in. <laughs> yeah. And I guess the money stopped coming in at four because that was a long time ago, wasn't it? It wasn't recent. Um. This is directed by uh, Stefan Spielberg. <laughs> Steven Spielberg. Do you know of any of his movies? Never heard of him. Me neither. Unknown. He says here's unknown. <laughs> unknown director, yeah. At the time. Almost unknown. Yeah. Except for Sugarland. Yeah. Um, we know who Steven Spielberg is. I am a big fan of his. Uh, I've We've said before, War Horse was the last movie we reviewed of his. How varied his portfolio is. If you go back and look, it's just... It's insane. I, I don't know any other director who has... As I was going to say change with the times, but that's not what he does. He just makes what he wants to make at that time. Seems like it. Like, I'm going to make Schindler's List. <laughs> I'm going to make Catch Me If You Can. I'm going to... You know, it's weird. It's, um... I'm going to make Terminal. I almost feel like there's no... Does Terminal a, have a shooting star? Apparently. But Is there I, even I, a sky in Terminal? 
Yeah, they they do look out. He's inside they, the they, airport they all the time. She, he has a date with her, and they, maybe that's when it was. Yeah, yeah they right. do. But yeah, anyway, in this movie, for the first time ever, I've never noticed it before. All of you Jaws fans probably know it ins, ins and outs of it. But I saw a shooting star go across the scene at night. Um, it's the bit where he where he was messing with the gun. And I said to you, do you see that shooting star? And then the, the scene changed and you saw it again. Yeah. It's like you see it twice, very specifically. So I had to go and look that up, what that was all about. Why, why is he that shooting star? Was it just a shooting star that they captured? Well, it was actually put in afterwards well not not now or anything it was put in they painted it onto the film back in 1975 8 1978 I thought you said no they painted it it was in the theatrical release they painted it oh was it yeah they painted it on the film like so it was like a special effect but it really it's not it's just painted onto the negative and it was Steven Spielberg um his next movie was Close Encounters of the Third Kind he was hinting at what was to come with the shooting star in the sky. And what happened is, after that, he started putting a shooting star in, some say all, every movie that's actually directed by him. Some say they can't find it in certain ones, but it's very few. And maybe it is there, but they haven't spotted it yet, because it's not clear enough, because it's not on Blu-ray. But there's a shooting star in a lot of the movies, um, including Close Encounters, Interesting. Indiana Jones, um... What else was they wanting? Saving Private Ryan. Saving Private Ryan, there's definitely one in. I saw the But then screenshot. you got those like Terminal, Catch Me If You Can, Schindler's yeah. List. Really? So you look out for Shooting Star. star. In there. You can play the Shooting Star game. Watch all of Schindler's List again just to watch for the Shooting Star. It could be there. I mean, it can be there, can it? Because any tiny shot of the sky sure. could have it in the corner. You just might not see it. So, um, yes. Does he also do a hint of the next movie in every movie? No, that wasn't a thing. It was just this shooting star became like a good luck charm for him. Like he saw it as like a good luck thing. So, um, yeah, directed by Steven Spielberg's. So. What's your favorite Steven Spielberg movie? Mine. Um, E.T. Uh, E.T. is very close. E.T. is also coming on Blu ray this year, which is exciting. Um, this. Close Encounters. It's one of my very top favorites. Yeah, it's fantastic. I can't. I couldn't pinpoint. As- oh, it's like asking a parent. And even if you said child. which Steven Spielberg do you not like, which ones don't you like? I don't have any of them either. Nineteen forty-two. That's one, wasn't it? Howard the Duck. Yeah, Howard the Duck is terrible. It's not something I enjoy at all. Well, I didn't even enjoy that as a kid. So yeah, you could probably say that. So um, this Blu-ray release, which has. Which is awesome that they didn't butcher this. They used the original cover art, or the original theatrical Thankfully. poster. And I'm not winking at you, by the way. My eye just feels super dry, so I keep closing my eye, hoping that it'll create its own little spit again. For some reason, my eye like, super dry. So if I close my eyes for a minute, don't take it personally. So they used the original theatrical uh, artwork, which I love. Uh, and then you can open this uh, slip cover up, and it tells you about it. This is the... 100th anniversary of Universal so there's loads of um, there's loads of data about Universal in 1975 what they did in oh, 1975 yeah. so it's kind of interesting because uh, in 1975 also jo- this movie called Jaws came out but aside from that uh, Universal released Clint Eastwood's The Iger San- Sanction never heard of it I have it's really good um, which inspired the ice tunnel attraction in Universal Studios tour and the other bit of Universal 1975 trivia is 
Earthquake receives an Academy Award for Best Sound, a Special Achievement Academy Award for Visual Effects, and a Scientific Academy Award for the development of Sensoround. Sensoround. Which is like a surround sound technology back then. Um, so yeah, it's pretty pretty cool. Um, in terms of extras on here, there is a lot of extras. So if you own the DVD release that came out about six years ago, all of that is on here. All of the extras from that, that release. But there is a new two-hour... Uh, documentary and it's a fan made documentary which is interesting called The Shark is Still Working The Impact and Legacy of Jaws um, it's a movie it's a documentary that's been talked about for a long time fan made what do you mean it was made by some fans of the of Jaws like hardcore fans of it not by the people who made Jaws okay um, so it covers everything about Jaws um, including the Laserdisc release, they go into deep detail on that. The whole, um, there's lots of actual, interestingly enough, there's lots of behind-the-scenes footage. Because back in those yeah. days, there wasn't that much, but there is for this movie. Lots of photos. People on set taking, you know, home video. Um, so, yeah, it's a two-hour documentary. Uh, and then there's another two-hour documentary called The Making of Jaws. Now, that one, if you've got the bu- the DVD, you will have seen... But that was a cut-down version. This is the actual full two-hour version. So you get two two-hour documentaries. You also get Jaws the Restoration, which looks into how they did this Blu-ray and made it look and sound like it does. I really love those. They're yeah. the first things I run to because I want to see technically how it was done. There was a good one on the Wizard of Oz Blu-ray as well. Um, Godfather. There's deleted scenes and outtakes. There's from the set an insider's look at the... Life on the set of Jaws, which is like a British television program, uh-huh. and it's really interesting to watch it from the perspective as the world doesn't really know who Steven Spielberg is. So the way they're talking about him is like this new director, Steven Spielberg. They're pinning the hopes on him, and it's really interesting. I, I yeah. liked. I had to kind of go to myself. Okay, Steven Spielberg is not the Steven Spielberg we know. He's this young upshot, upstart kind of dude yeah. who's got this huge project. The, a world before Steven Spielberg. Yeah, so it's really interesting. And then there's storyboards, production photos, marketing Jaws, the Jaws ph- phenomenon, and the original theatrical trailer. Uh, ultraviolet digital copy DVD as well. Everything. If you love Jaws, <laughs> and I own the DVD of Jaws, this is a worthy upgrade because the DVD's in here as well, so you don't need your DVD anymore. Just get this version. Right, because everything's on there. Every supplement you want. The Blu-ray. Is there a commentary the on the first one? That isn't uh, there's no commentary because Steven Spielberg refuses to do a commentary for any movie. So you're not going to get a commentary. He talks about it enough, I think. He does, yeah. There's enough Steven Spielberg clips in here. In fact, that, that thing we watched called On the Set, he was sat in a boat talking to the guy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he doesn't do commentary commentaries. So the only thing you're missing here is a commentary. There's not a commentary by anybody. So um, Why does he refuse or do you know? I do not know, but... You it's, know that he refuses? I do, yeah. Uh, I looked into why there's no commentaries on Steven Spielberg movies, and it's because of him. He doesn't do them. Um, unfortunate, because I don't see anything wrong with doing them, telling you about his behind-the-scenes process. Maybe he doesn't want you to know. No, I don't think that. I don't think he's very patient. No? I think he has a bit of ADD about him. I mean, he has a good... But I think that he would... 
I don't know. I can't imagine him wanting to sit there. You have to do it in one sitting. Talk through the movie and expect you to sit and watch the movie and listen to him talk about it as well. So, in conclusion for this Jaws, what is it? Do you know anyone who doesn't like it? No, I really don't know anybody who doesn't like it. I know lots of people who love it. It's really beloved, isn't it? I mean, it's... Yeah, but we also wouldn't think anyone ever hate Exorcist and you know someone who thinks it's boring and stupid. Yeah, but no, I don't know anybody who doesn't like this movie. Really? Do you know anyone who hasn't seen it? Yeah, probably. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. No, I mean like adults. No, you, right. no. I could talk. Yeah, you could talk about it to probably anybody you know in your adult life. Oh, I don't agree with that. Not on I my could. side, anyway. I could. Yeah, definitely. They'd all have seen it. No your aunt, your aunt Dorothy. Yes, she would have seen it. <laughs> yeah, it was a. You everybody saw it. It was. I think it was one of those movies like Star Wars. This and remember, this was pre-Star Wars. This was uh, acknowledged as the uh, first big summer blockbuster movie, and then Star Wars came two years later. Um, it was a phenomenon in Britain. It was one of those movies that would have been in the theaters for eight months. Right. Like it wouldn't. It would have just been there all the time. So um, yeah, it's a fantastic Blu-ray. It doesn't cost that much. I've seen it for fifteen dollars. Believe it or not, good price. Um, it's wa- it's rewatchable. It, 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 absolutely, own it. It's a piece of American film history, no doubt. Own it. It, it should go there. Go in the collection with your. Well, what God- do you what do you what do you mean by that? Well, how does it change movie making? Let's I think be, it let's did. Be I think I think the special effects were not a thing. Um, but it wouldn't have affected cameras like- on the ocean were not a thing. Filming things on the ocean. Yeah, but it's not like we have thousands of movies immediately after that on the ocean or anything. No, I think it was groundbreaking in tons of ways. Special effects mainly. Um, uh, yeah, but how? Presentation. <laughs> script, it's easy to say because the style is very already very 70s. So we didn't invent anything on that front. Well, just think about it. It's one of the most watched movies of all I know, time. No, but that, I'm saying, how does that contribute to movies because it's wildly popular no I mean to movie making like the guy who invented Steadicam that changed movie making forever right the guy who invented Disc Clockwork Shark how because then you could incorporate that into any other creature or like this was they nobody had done anything like this do we know that what he did after that no we can look it up well I mean there's lots of things learning also the shark was a disaster so I don't know that it was because but then know? again during the next one it might have been not right but I just it, don't know how innovative it was in terms of movie making you're saying it's a cultural phenomenon it has become part of our what do they call it it's it's woven into the lexicon of our yeah it's definitely society, a piece of, of American history you can ask people so, all over the world yeah about everything. if you just went like this dun 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 dun, dun and somebody's gonna say Jaws Jaws yeah. Jaws but that doesn't mean it contributed to the filmmaking process even if it as didn't, an art. Even if it didn't at all, it, it's the start of a magnificent filmmaker's career, Steven Spielberg, who still, we've grew up with him, we've almost liked everything he's done. <laughs> yeah. I think he gets better as he goes along. There have been a few misses along the way for people. Some people hated War of the Worlds. I love it. Um, I've, yeah, like I've pretty much liked everything he's done. He's, I think he's a master filmmaker, even Warhorse that we just saw. He can tell a story, he knows how to show it to you properly. Even if it's just that, that we get Steven Spielberg's, you know, 
Genesis. <laughs> um, as a special effects type movie, you know, big budget movie kind of guy. Right. Um, it's fantastic. Can't not recommend it to anybody. <laughs> I mean, some people say, oh, I want to watch a film from 1975. I think you should watch a film from 1975. There's lots of movies from the 70s you should see, yes. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, in conclusion... I love it. I, love I will it. give it my highest recommendation. I could watch it again right now. 10 out of 10 if uh, <laughs> I had to give it In fact, it I think I'll put it on my laptop, so I'll have it. I'll put the digital copy thing on there so I can watch it whenever I want. Uh, and, um, yeah, that's it. Thanks to Universal for the Blu-ray. It's almost like a comforting movie. You turn it, as soon as it comes on, you're just like, <sighs> Yeah, exactly. You just settle into it. Like, you know, I'm going on an adventure. It's another thing about it. You feel like you've gone from this sleepy little, he's a police chief in this little town. Everyone's pecking at him about people's parking and all this kind so of like stuff. To heroic To of. this, you know, like out into the ocean and, and, you know, man versus nature, obviously. So um, thanks to Universal for the Blu-ray. Next week's uh, Blu-ray review will be uh, the huge budgeted <laughs> Battleship uh, starring True Blood's uh, Skarsgård look. What's he called? Alexander. I thought it was the other guy. Alexander Skarsgård. I thought it was the star of Taken. Liam, Liam Neeson. Neeson. Liam Neeson is also in it, but Alexander Skarsgård I saw on the cover, so I was like, oh, there you go. So yeah, Battleship by Peter Weir. I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, Peter Weir, one I, I like him too, apart from Hancock. Didn't like that one. Had potential, but it, hit, it is a hit and miss. That was him, wasn't it? Han- he did do Hancock. I don't know. I think he did. So uh, if I'm wrong, you can... Peter uh, Weir is Buckaroo Banzai, right? Buckaroo Banzai. I always get that mixed up. Is he Robocop? Yes. The actor. No, he didn't do... He didn't Who's do... he? I always get him mixed up. Peter Weir. Um, he didn't do... Um... No, I don't mean directing. You're talking acting. about... Pe- oh, I don't know. Um, don't I'm know talking about Robocop? Peter Berg. Peter Berg did Hancock. Okay. He's he also from The Last Seduction, one of my favorite Who movies. did Battleship? Peter Weir. Okay, who is Peter Weir? Um, is he an actor as well? Yes. No. <laughs> a director. He's a director. Okay, I gotta look him up, so keep talking. Alright, so movie game. So you're gonna have to guess the movie uh, trivia. The movie trivia this week is Movie Memory 123. It's a game where we play it, <laughs> and you guess some movies, and you can play along at home. And the uh, question this week for you, Sid Talk, is... Movies with bigger boats than the one in Jaws. Oh, okay. As the main theme. Oh, dear. Um, and it, the, the boat has to be the main theme of the movie. Okay. Oh, that's a submarine. Shit. I was going to do the U-7, whatever that was. Was Does that, that a submarine? Count? Is that a boat? It's not really no, a boat. No, I'm saying it doesn't count. Yeah, it's right, a submarine. Right. It's Titanic. Yeah, obviously. That's the biggest <laughs> boat. Um, a bigger boat. I'm going to say Dead Calm. That was a bigger boat. It was a yacht. Yeah. With Nicole Kidman. And that was a main thing because they're floating on the water and yep. trapped on the boat with the crazy blue-eyed... What's his name? Billy. What his name is? Zane. From Titanic. Ooh, he, only does, he only does boat movies. I'm tying them in together here. And... Um, bigger boat. Uh, Hunt for Red October. Or is that a submarine? Submarine. Fuck. <laughs> Uh, da, 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 bigger, big ship, big boat. And you can't, uh, you can't have the love boat. That's, that's fine. Um, what's that one called? The um, the one where he's going down the 
River. Bogey and what's her face? That one. Catherine Hepburn Catherine Hepburn and Casablanca? No. Um River Casablanca. River Queen. Queen Boat. <laughs> yeah, that one. That one, that one. Cause All right, a- so let's let's finish this contest here, and I will okay. give you a good one. Poseidon Adventure. Oh, okay. Or Poseidon the remake. You're right. <laughs> they, they're big boats. You are right. Truly big boats. I was thinking truly, truly big boats, you know? Yeah, like, what's another one? So movie recommendations. Oh, did you have no other ones besides the ones no, I did? No, I, right. I just pieced, pieced three together, and you got two of them. and that Director one. of Robocop, Peter Verhoeven. You know that. That's Paul Verhoeven. Peter Weller. That's who I always think of when you say Peter Ware. Peter Weller was in Dexter. Paul Paul Verhoeven is the director of uh, Robocop. And Peter Weller was Robocop and Buttercup And Paul Weller is the singer of the jam. And Peter Weir is... (laughs) (laughs) W-E-I-R? Yeah, Peter Weir is the guy who did Master and Commander. That guy. Right? Okay, okay. He likes men. I mean, he likes... ah, I don't mean that. I mean, he likes men in his movies. All right. Okay, I'm straight now on this subject. All right. So, uh, movie recommendations for this week. Ace Gilly, I am going to give you two movie recommendations based on the movie we just saw, which is Jaws. I'm going to give you, number one, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, um, because Richard Dreyfus as a... Dreyfus. Close Encounter Man. I forget his name in that. But anyway, fantastic. Also uh, Steven Spielberg. And I also want to give you One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which, when Jaws came out, one Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest also came out. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest won more Oscars than... Um, you also say Cuckoo? Cuckoo's Nest. So, um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest was my other one. That's just because it was from the same year. Right. And I'm going to say Sugarland Express because it was Peter... Uh, Peter. Steve Spielberg's first movie to direct. <laughs> big movie. And it had Goldie Hawn. And it's really good. I've only ever seen it once, but I would love to see it again. I should just I watch it. I have it, but I've never seen it. And this one that I heard about today, because I listened to Radio Lab and uh, This American Life, I think it's called, or something like that, on NPR Radio. And today we're discussing this movie called Searching for Sugar Man, or Sugar Man. Um, it's a documentary about this guy who did a lot of music like guitar and wrote a lot of political themed music like 60s and 70s people compared him to Bob Dylan but then he never became famous at all and then he just became a carpenter again and kept doing his music to him, like to himself and this was 70s 80s whatever but at the same time apartheid was becoming a, a global people noticing it and they were starting to the people were starting to rise up against it somehow it his one of his CDs got to somebody in South Africa and he became as popular or famous as like Elvis or the Beatles in South Africa amongst the young people and the revolutionaries because all of his songs were about you know standing up for yourself and politics and all that and he became so but then they started people started saying he was dead all along he was just living a normal life and didn't realize he was super famous and so the country he finally got to go there and the reason they found out that he wasn't dead was because the documentary filmmakers decided to do a story the film about this guy and when they were looking for information about him that's when they discovered he wasn't actually dead like they're from south africa and then this it's coming out and this comes out in 2012 and it's just a really fascinating story and i would like to see i've not seen it so i'm recommending this one blindly but it's called uh, Searching for Sugar Man. And the reason it's called Sugar Man Sugar. is because his last name um, 
is like Spanish sounding and the people kept mispronouncing it when he was in the military and they started calling him Sugar Man because it's similar to what his name should be and that's why it's called that but so searching for Sugar Man Alright, so games uh, and a Scully stuff for this week. I have been playing one game. That's actually one. Only <laughs> one whole game. And that would be the PlayStation Network release of the game called Sound Shapes that came out this Tuesday. It's a Vita and PS3 game. You buy it once, and then you get it on both platforms, like they've been doing recently, which I really like. It's a good... Uh... This one actually works as in you play a bit on the Vita, and then you go to the PS3, and it knows exactly where you work. Does this like. add value to you? It does if you own both systems, obviously, because you can take it with you. I can. So unfortunately, you're paying the same price when you don't have both systems, which is not fair. Yeah, that yeah, I guess if you own both systems, it's obviously a, a value add, right? There's no guessing about it. You're yeah. getting extra value for the same amount. I mean, you're getting the same thing twice. It's just on the Vita, you can take it with you, play it in the car, play it at work, come home, and carry on on your PS3. It's a cool idea, and it works seamlessly. Um, so Sound Shapes, what it is, and you saw a bit of it this week. It's hard to explain. It's a platform game where you're a little blob, and it's a colourful kind of landscape. And you Very graphic. Maneuver your blob from the um, left-hand side of the screen to the right-hand side of the screen, and you collect little um, circles along the way. Now, when you collect a circle, it starts playing an instrument. So I might collect circle one, and a drum starts playing. And then I might collect circle two, and it's a violin. And the more circles you collect, the more of the song you start to hear. Doesn't voice or um, vocals already kick also kick in? Don't they? Yeah, when you collect, yeah, Not vocals could be counted yeah. as a, a as an instrument. So one of the lo- <laughs> Not to me, but okay. well, yeah, because your voice <laughs> is also an instrument, right? It's um, right, technically, I guess, yeah. So, um, you know, each level is split into an album and it, it looks like an album cover and then you go into the album cover and then it's the game what was that Mr. A. Scully what's this thing you call about talk about an album yeah what's an album cover like uh, you know <laughs> what album. century do you go from <laughs> well that's what they call it I know album. what I'm saying um, so yeah there's album covers and then you go in so each one there's five of them and each one's a different artist now not only is it a different musical artist it's a different uh, graphic artist so it would be like like Deadmau Deadmau5 is in there and he would be teamed up with Pixel Jam and that Pixel Jam are people who like graphic artists and Deadmau is a famous house DJ so it's his music versus their um, styling so the whole level will be drawn by them and the music will be him and it's uh, the mishmashes of people one by Beck the music's by Beck um the Beck one is my favourite one, actually, because they take Beck's music, which is kind of, you know, what is Beck's music, really? It's like folky slash Dance hip-hop. a little bit. It's all kinds of things, isn't it? Like, kind of mished together. And then the, the graphics are actually, like, one of the platforms that you have to run across is his lyrics. Like, the... <laughs> He's saying, like, um, move a little, shake a little. And when, it, when he says shake a little, the, the, the platform shakes. And when he says move a little, it moves a bit up and down. And then they say lose a little and the platform will disappear. So, like, the lyrics to, are right. actually part of the gameplay. I've never seen anything like that before. Like, like, a platform is the lyrics to the song. And, you know, so when you're playing it, it feels kind of new and fresh. Yet, 
it's really just a side-scrolling platform. fresh. But there is um, other aspects to this. Um, well, it does feel new and fresh. I've never really seen... An, and as you say, from one album to the other, the art style is completely different. Like, the Dead Mouse level, Dead Mouse level is pixel art like uh, all looks like space invaders and pac-man whereas the beck level is kind of sketchy like somebody drew it like a Mm, right you know like um art project looking but um i recommend it highly it's also got um, a couple of other modes it's got like um you can make your own levels and then publish them and then you can go and play anybody else's levels so it's got try some yeah i did and there's some really good ones people have made like the first level of super mario brothers and things like that you know but um cock and balls Yep. I did <laughs> see a cock and balls. Boobs, John. All kinds. Women's body shapes and stuff. So what that kind of pushes it into is uh, Sony's play, create, share um, motif, which is a uh, little big planet and mod nation races. So you can play it, make your own level, upload it, and then people can rate your level and you can see how your level's doing online. So there's all that part built in. And then there's also a music sequencer, so you can make your own music using the bits that are in there. So you can... Make your own song, remix it totally. Have Beck's music sounding like right. Dead Mouse music, you know. So there's that too. Um, I think it's really, really good. Uh, it costs fifteen dollars, but if you're a PlayStation Plus member, you get money off. I think it came to ten dollars if, and because you get both. Now the, the only thing I do think about it is the actual single player game isn't very long. You can finish it in about two hours. But the actual... And this is $15? Right, yeah, but the... Right. But that's just the albums, right? And I imagine they're going to bring more albums out, but the actual community levels where you go in and say, do you want to play other people's levels? There's millions of them already. You could sit and play them all so day. That's good value. Yeah, so, like, it's kind of never-ending if you want to just keep playing other people's levels. So that's Sound Shapes. It's exclusive to the PlayStation 3 and Vita. It's on the PlayStation Network. Um, and then, this week, on Tuesday, coming out, will be Sleeping Dogs... And Dark Siders 2, both awesome games, and there hasn't been any games for two months. You know, any video games at all, really, apart from zero. Yeah, just downloadable titles that right. have been coming out. But there's been no big retail games at all. But because it's back to school week this week, that's when new games start to come out. And from now, next week is back to school. yeah Tuesday. Yeah, which would be next week. So they come out on Tuesday. Uh, Sleeping Dogs and Dark Siders 2. And then from every week onwards until November, there are games. So it's like that period of time now, isn't it, where games start to be released. Um, I'm look, really looking forward to Sleeping Dogs. It's uh, They describe it as uh, like Grand Theft Auto Hong Kong, which is right on my street. And Darksiders 2, I love Darksiders 1. Why not just make Grand Theft Auto in Hong Kong? Because Rockstar um, don't want to, and they haven't. So somebody else did? I think I'm just not the kind of artist who likes my stuff compared. I know this is selling points and all that kind of stuff. And you people all go like, well, if I like that one, then I'm going to want something else that's described the same. I just would never... I don't like it. I don't like that. I guess an open world game then, if you want to call it that. I'm not telling you what to call it. I'm saying I don't... That wouldn't do anything for me. It would almost turn me off of something. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, this is just like that. Well, then I'll just go back to that. Well, different. Than <laughs> you know? That. Yeah. In games, it's a different thing than movies. Like, because if you like a particular play style of game, like, say, I do like the open world thing of Grand Theft Auto. I just like losing myself in the world and going there and doing that and having all busy things to do, loads of different things. I like that. So I know I'm going to like that style of game. But then there's other games where I just can't 
deal with them at all. Like, so if you said it's kind of like Madden, it wouldn't appeal to me. You mean a sports game? Yeah, another sports game. Even though somebody might say, "Well, this new tennis game's awesome," even if you don't like sports, you'd probably like it. You do I, like I, tennis I, games, though. Occasionally, <laughs> but I, I kind of know myself. I wouldn't. I won't pay big dollars yeah. for, for a golf or a tennis game, but I will if you say it's like an. It's I mean, like so, a, okay, genre is one thing, but saying it's a Grand Theft Auto in Tokyo is the thing that I would be like as a game Hong maker. Kong. Whatever, yeah, <laughs> whatever. Big city in an Asian land. Um, it would be like I don't know. I just always find that it. fascinating. Like it's the selling point, but wouldn't you? Wouldn't one of those developers and the artists and people like quit? Fucking comparing us to Grand Theft Auto. It's our own game, you know. I think they, because Grand Theft Auto was the be-all and end-all of those kind of games, I think they would be highly appreciative to be compared to. I disagree. Because like every single one. They are the big dogs of... They're the sleeping dogs and Grand Theft Auto <laughs> are the big dogs. So, um, yeah, that's it for games and those will be out next week and I'll talk about them next weekend. Um, and it also says something else on the end of my games and ASCOI stuff, but that's nothing to do with me. It is to do with you, because it's your friend. Oh, okay. Well, I, I'm not discussing it. You are. Well, I know, but it's your friend. That's the only reason I would make this particular thing. Because you have a friend who has children. And for these children, I have been making banners for their birthdays. I did one. It was quite successful. It was a Star Wars theme, Star Wars Lego. And the next one I did, where I drew the, the youngest as a little bee person in a bee suit... I don't remember why exactly. He likes the colors. He likes bees. And insects. And I drew right. worms and bugs and stuff all over it. Or on the number four for his fourth birthday. And now I'm making one for the daughter, who's the eldest, I believe. And uh, it's quite fun. And you said, it's the I have been making birthday banners for many years. And I don't mean like a little, like, printed out and it's like four pieces of typing paper. How big are these banners, do you reckon? Like five foot long? Five? No. Eight foot long? Twelve. Oh, are they? Really <laughs> yeah, some of them are twelve foot. Right. Twelve, ten, eight, it depends. If someone says they don't have much room, but most of them are like ten at least. Right. And about uh, two and a half to three feet high, because I have paper that's 36 and 32 and 28 and, you know, different. So it's like big, massive rolls of paper, and I draw it all back. Oh, yeah, it's end. that big. We couldn't find a tube to put it Correct. in. Correct. Yeah. It's so long. Um, I mean, it's so yeah, long, high, whatever. Tall. And in this one, I've drawn her sort of cartoony and resemble. I don't draw people very well to like resemble the person. I've never practiced enough and I've never studied up on it. But I, I think I pick up the things that give the essence of the person. So hopefully, you know, as they look at her very red hair. I think hair, it looks like her and I've seen her a lot. And her nice, her lovely nine-year-old teeth that have the band of big teeth and a little bit crooked. And she's got a very distinctive mouth shape and all that. Kind of, and she's got freckles. I got, oh, I got to draw the freckles on there. I had them on there in pencil I need. And what I use is magic markers, pencil, crayons. I don't know, sometimes I use paint. On the Star Wars one, I use paint because I wanted the Star Wars lettering to be huge. And Yeah, don't turn me in for copyright infringement either, because sometimes <laughs> I use things... This one, she has Snoopy on her shirt, and that one had Star Wars lettering, so... Oh, I think George can. I do them all for free, so it's not exactly like I am promoting any... I just do them, because I really love it, and I feel like it's the kind of art that has a very distinct purpose. It is to give pleasure for five minutes or five hours, however long the birthday party is, and I've probably made, I don't know, 20 or 30 by now, over time, and I've heard from other parents who say they, the kid always wants to chop off part of it and keep it in their room all the time or, you know, 
they have loads of pictures of them, and that's how they remember what year that birthday picture was from because that's the year we had the big banner. And I did one for a, a woman at work just in the last few months for her father's 60th birthday. So, you know, it's kind of rained. And I did one for a wedding, and I don't know. So that's what I've been working on, and I think it. you said it was your favorite one because why again? I don't know. I just like, it just appeals to me. I like it. Super colorful. She yeah, likes music. Cool. And violin, and so I put all the lettering in, like, the shape of musical notes. And it's just, I mean, it's not, like, it's not the kind of banner that if you called up one of these banner places that look all perfect and polished and shiny and shit. It's just paper and crayon, and it's hand-drawn. And I will post pictures of it, of course, on my website, which is SidTalk.com, or on my Facebook, as always. And there's other pictures of other banners I've made. All right, I'm not so- putting it out there that I'm willing to make hundreds of banners for people because... This one took two days only because I kind of sat and looked at it a lot and researched things a lot and sort of piddled around. But generally speaking. All right. Uh, so, Sid, so what's for dinner? And what's <laughs> are your, you done with my banner? What's That's your advice for this week? Not rude of you I'm at all. I'm trying to move it along because we're a minute, an hour and five minutes in. Right. Normally, we're an hour and 20 minutes. So. Well, by the time you finished. Right. Well, we, we, you've okay. got to start up on your, your part. That was my <laughs> part. Ah, ah. <laughs> Oh, my part's nothing. I'm just going to say what's for dinner. My part's nothing else except for dinner is going to be... I've I've named these things, okay? First one's Italian. It's La Pasta di Cindy. <laughs> Cindy's pasta. And I don't know yet what it's going to be like. The pasta I've, of Cindy. The pasta of Cindy or the essence of Cindy. No, that's just Cindy's pasta. Um, it's just some... I had some shells to cook and some rotini and I'm going to make some vegetables and tomato sauce and... I don't know yet exactly. It's going to be amalgamation. Chocolate, that chocolate Arctic stuff? No, not on the pasta. But if you want the chocolate sauce on your... Then after that I made a dessert. It's called uh, sans oeufs tartes à amandes. All the French people are rolling in the grades. Yes, amand- all the French people there. <laughs> all of them, yeah. Sans oeufs tartes amandes. <laughs> Which is almond tart. And it's... Vegetarian, so it's got no eggs in it. Uh, the crust elbow has butter in it. Other than that, there's nothing else. And it's Not really... Not real, um, I don't know what's in the crust. I didn't look at the ingredients. Probably not. It's probably vegetable shortening, actually, now that yeah. I think about it. Um, but it is... I ground up my own almonds and used almond for a little bit of flavoring. And it has no eggs or anything, so it has a little bit... It's kind of a gooey almond tart. But we ate it a day after I'd made it. That's and, a, a day after. Oh, my God. It's amazing. With a little bit of vanilla tofuti on there, and a little bit of that strawberry jam, and then tonight I'm gonna put a little Nutella on mine because I thought, ooh, a little bit of chocolate with the almond flavor. I think we still have two pieces left, hopefully. So that's what's for dessert. And my advice for today is, do not ask the question if you don't want to hear and like any of the possible answers. If you're asking a question of someone and you have in your mind what you want to hear, and they say something else, it's you who asked the question. So don't get all hurt and all, like, upset and because don't ask the question if you don't want that person's answer. And that kind of leads to, you know, be prepared for someone's truth. That doesn't mean it's the truth of a thing, right? It doesn't mean... If you're talking about God and the other person is convinced and they have a full belief in God and they're telling it to you as if it's fact, they're just telling you their truth. They're not telling you the truth. It's how they see things. So, 
when you've asked someone a question and they're giving you the answer that you don't like, just keep in mind, first of all, that you asked the question. You opened it up. Right. And second of all, just because they're telling you something you don't like to hear doesn't mean it isn't the right answer to your question. Now, that can apply to lots of things. But a sort of a religion topic kind of opened up for me this week because my cousin and I, who I love very dearly, got in a discussion. She started sending me more God stuff, and she knows I don't believe in anything like that. And whereas I'm the type of person who you need to believe whatever you believe because life is difficult. And if it gets you through, that's awesome. As long as it isn't hurting people on purpose and it isn't hurting people for the sake of it. You know, there's a line between believing in this to get through life the best you can and believing in this thing and and destroying the world in the process. I mean, there's a difference. I don't know how else. There's no line. but, But I don't tell other people what to believe or how to think about this just because I have an opinion doesn't mean I'm telling you, but I feel like when a person who's really devout to their religion is telling you something, we've discussed this, that they're sort of patting you on the head really patronizingly, as if to say, oh, well, someday you'll come along. Oh, well, it's a shame that you don't believe what I believe because it will enrich your life and, and someday you will, like, catch up with me. Because I know the truth. Like, that's what I get from a lot of people. Not every Christian person, not every Catholic person, not every person with a religion does this. But it's very prevalent, this idea of... I've now got my beliefs. I believe unyieldingly that God exists. And this isn't me talking. This is a person, my perception. I believe a God exists. And and being God-like or... What do you, whatever you want to say, like following the ways of Christianity, living the way Jesus taught us to live and Jesus sacrificed his life for me and he is my savior and that God sacrificed his son and I'm supposed to live. And, if you know, I'm believing this completely. And I am not convinced that people believe that a, like 100% sealed tight. I believe there's always doubt in them. And so by bringing you or taking me into their belief, it sort of boosts their confidence in it. The more they can draw other people in, the more it feels and the more they can convince themselves it is really what it is. There has to be doubt in everyone's mind. I'm not saying it isn't real just because people have doubts. I'm saying that idea of converting people and bringing other people into your belief system, it's almost like the bigger the party, the the more we can all convince each other and ourselves that this is all actual solid. You know what I mean? I don't know how else to describe it. But it almost seems desperate sometimes, even, in, even if it's really subtle. And someone's just sort of trying to get, you know, like if you say something like, oh, I've, you know, struggle with my self-image. Oh, well, the Bible really talks about that. And, you know, there's a verse in the Bible that da-da-da. Talks about everything, actually. True, because it's written by people who live life. You know what I mean? Like, I have no no complaint about the Bible, really, because I think it's a guide. Every religion's a guide to maybe living better or living somehow getting through life. Awesome. That's fine with it's me. It's rules really. to follow. That's it's rules and it's um, 
advice and it's comforting because you can feel like you're the only person in the world has ever felt X, Y, or Z. And it's because it's written by people who have obviously seen and felt things as well. So I say, totally believe in whatever you believe. That's awesome. Give me some advice. That's fine. But don't look at me as if, because I don't do this to anyone else. I don't think to myself, oh, these believers, what a shame. Pity, pity. I don't think that at all. I think you're getting through this life, which is difficult, and that's getting you through, and it helps you when you lay your head on the pillow at night from from bursting into tears because you're worried about this or that or the other. It's getting you through your work day because you've it, you rely on it to give you that. You know, yeah. this is a path. I'm not religious, but I am. Um, you're agnostic, you say. Yeah, well, I'm not religious at all, so I am. Um, but I. Say fair dues to anybody for anything they believe in. Scientology is fine. Uh, anything's fine if it helps you. Exactly. Um, if it's if you know, it, I don't. I don't. If it's as so long as it's not hurting anybody, I don't want you to be a member of Nazi party or whatever. And that's not a religion. Well, or whatever, <laughs> some hurtful religion, right? Because there are those. You know? And some would say Christianity is hurtful, and some will yeah. say Judaism is hurtful, and some will say other things are hurtful. So it's an interpretation, but we know what we mean. Yeah. People know what we mean. Yeah, I'm not religious, but I am not against any religion. I just, I personally don't like to be preached to. If I've kind of made it clear, I'm not religious. Right. I don't need you to try and fix me. Up, I love but... to discuss it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I could sit for days and discuss. All different kinds of approaches. But I do feel they have that. I'm going to try and fix you now because you've told me yes, I'm your project. I'm a precisely. Project of yeah. I am not broken. No, I don't have. Also, other than my twenties, like late teens and twenties, I think I just went through the normal angst of a young person searching for whatever you know answers, quote unquote, and why and the and self pity and all that shit. But I figured it out since then, like. I don't... I could pretend that I have fear of death. I could pretend that I need answers to the question of why do we exist? I can pretend that I fear my parents dying or that I fear you dying or someone else I love and wondering where their spirit's going to go and all that. But I don't. I'm not bullshitting you when I say that. Tons I'm not... Of, tons of people who don't. But I mean, I don't even on any level... I am at peace 100% with the world and how it works. It's horrific and terrible, and there's going to be pain and, and uh, suffering. And I'm one, not okay with the pain and suffering, and but I'm one saying of the things is, I don't need an explanation. We won't figure it out anyway. No, a religion yeah. is not going to figure it out. Yeah, I don't need an explanation. Don't need it, no. I don't need someone to sit down with me and convince me that it's God's plan, and I'm doing air quotes, that someone walked in a theater and killed a bunch of people. Because... If that's the way that you can cope with that information that you've... But then again, okay, well, how about the genocide in Rwanda a few years ago? How do you cope with that one? Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Of course you don't know what I'm talking about. You just pick and choose the things that you want to apply your belief to. Plus, if, if it was God's plan for that guy to walk in and kill all them people in the theater, that's a bit of a shitty plan, if you're God. Why, why would you have such a shitty plan? And I think my question, and I'm not saying it's... But I don't like to insult people's religion. But what boiled down to me this week, I was thinking, okay, um, a, a belief system where the higher power has designed it so that I'm required to worship them openly 
and get other people to worship them and pretty much constantly kiss their ass, in my interpretation, like constantly revere them and hold them above me and that I will never be good enough no matter what I do. Supposed to be scared of them? Yeah, I'm not... I'm not sure I understand how that seems comforting to anyone. I just don't get it. I mean, I've gone through it in my own mind for my own self. And I realize somewhere along the line, I don't wonder about these things. I don't wonder about death. I don't wonder about my purpose in life because I think there is none. I think we we are alive and then we die. And I, I think that well, opens there, me there's up. there's a bit more in between that. No, I mean, in terms of the purpose of your life. Yeah, I don't think you're born for a purpose. I think you find your own purpose, right? You, this, but you, I don't even feel like I have a purpose. Well, not even purpose. Every day I mean, is a different you thing. you find your way to fill it in. Exactly, you fill in the time. And I think you, I... You're not born my, uh, with this DNA thing that you're a musician or you're a... Or that you're Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah, or that you are Hitler and a horrible... You know, you don't have a horrible purpose. Yeah. I don't think there's a plan... And yet, there are things I can't explain. So that's never an argument that I can go for when people say, well, don't you wonder about how, you know, why these coincidences or why these things are in line and whatever. I can't explain them. But you know what? I don't seek an answer to those things. I find it fascinating and amazing the way the world works. I think it's weird and amazing that when we've met across the world, halfway around the world, our birthdays are... Eleven seven seven eleven. That our mother's birthdays are nine eight and eight nine. These are just weird little things that I have no explanation for. And that's the end of it. It's just a thing. It's a. I don't want to say coincidence because that's a whole other school of thought. Who thinks everything is random and yet there's are coincidences that guide the universe and numerology and all that kind of stuff. But I guess my point is, and it goes back to my original advice: if you're going to bring up the topic of religion with a person. In terms of helping you see a problem in their life and you want to help guide them. And so now you bring religion into the discussion. Do not be resentful or defensive or upset or feel persecuted because that person doesn't believe what you believe or that they don't want to believe it because it's <laughs> that's just how it is. Maybe you can give advice and they can consider it and go, well, that's good advice. Minus the the obligation to go along with your group, like I just, that's it. It's a very, it's a, it's huge, though, isn't it? The, the concept of religion and way too huge for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, way mean, too huge for a, an hour and twenty minutes. The, the, the point is, you know, if you bring up a topic, you can't be, do not be offended by the what you hear back because you may not like it, but you. You should respect it. So, thank you for listening to the show and listening to Sid Talk. Uh, <laughs> I'm you. starting my own religion. It's called <laughs> yeah. Sid Talk. Yeah, exactly. It did sound like a sermon of sorts. <laughs> a sermon minus any sort of meaning. Yeah, minus or... a message. <laughs> <laughs> there's no message. I, I hate to break it to you, but in my religion, there's no afterlife. There's no heaven. There's no hell. There's, there's no, no meaning to anything. There's no reward for your good deeds. Because I think if someone's saying to you, I want you to be really, really good. And in the end, I'm going to reward you. Because that's the ultimate ego trip right there. So just be good and leave it at that. That's it. Be good. And uh, final point on that. Any god 
who wants... Don't be insulting or disrespectful. No, I'm saying God. Any like a god wants its his subjects to worship and revere him. Seems like a selfish, selfish <laughs> type of person. At, yeah, selfish type of way to operate. Like How about- I, like I'm a god, and I need people to worship me. Otherwise, I will not feel good. Or kill them. Yeah. Or plague them, or whatever. Exactly. How about a god who you never even knew it existed? And it gave you life and sustenance and you lived your lives and there was good times and bad times, but you never even knew they were there. They were just there to do all the things for you. Yeah. All for nothing. For no payback. No one knows they're that there. That would be the best way to operate. It's like being an anonymous donor to a charity. I will give money to a charity. I don't need anyone to know that I did this because it's... Which I do a lot of the time. It's If pure. I give any money to a charity, I don't say I it's give it. It's just what just it is. It. Like, I don't need everyone to pat me on the back and tell me thank you. I don't need anyone to worship me or send me a thank you card or acknowledge anything like that. Um. All right. So thanks for listening to the show. (laughs) And I want to remind you about the website, sayscully.com, and you can worship at the Church of Sidtalk at sidtalk.com. All donations are available. (laughs) No donations. (laughs) PayPal, collecting dish. Unless you're going to give me one big fat donation of like $300,000, then I can quit my job, buy off off my house, and be that's all I need for the rest of my life. You can catch us both on Twitter and Facebook, Xbox Live, YouTube. The Zoom Marketplace is the place to go if you own a Zoom, all three of you, and you want to get hold of this podcast. There's a dying religion for you. Yeah. (laughs) Zoom, the Church of the Zoom. And the big booming religion, uh, the Church of iTunes. You can go there (laughs) to uh, get this podcast in your droves, millions and millions of you. And then uh, you can also go to the RSS feed, uh, all 27 of you, to uh, subscribe that way. You can email me at aschoolyatasechoolyatasechoolyatasechoolyatasechoolyatasechoolyatasechoolyatasechoolyatasechoolyatasechoolyatasechoolyatasechoolyatasechoolyatasechoolyatasechoolyatasechoolyatasechool